Welcome to Voices from the Cathedral, a podcast that brings you sermons, discussions, and other performances from the Cathedral of St. John the Divine in New York City. On Sunday, September 30th, the Reverend Deacon Jean Borkland preached on the 19th Sunday after Pentecost, Proper 21, Year B. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Good morning, have a seat. And if your eye causes you to stumble, tear it out. Hmm. When the recent Rhoda was published for Sundays here at the cathedral, I was very excited. I was so excited I went to the lectionary, lectionary right away to see what the readings might be for today. My first sermon here at the cathedral, and I was curious would it be a prodigal son, or maybe a good Samaritan, or perhaps something leading up to the feast of St. Francis, where I could make some connection to animals? I mean, that's next week. Maybe a sheep. They cause trouble and concerns, they're always wandering off all the time. Jesus needs to save them and they're not very bright. And I thought, I can really identify with a sheep. But no, really no. When I looked at today's gospel, I found unofficial demon ridding, suicide by drowning, an immortal worm, unquenchable fire, good salt, bad salt, unsalty salt. And so like any good New York deacon, I said to myself, Oy vey. And if your eye causes you to stumble, tear it out. This is a scripture that might easily lend itself to fire and brimstone. Maybe I should remind you all of the risk of being licked by eternal flames. Should we focus on the nature of hell and the never-ending damnation? Should we all just sit and think about that immortal worm for the rest of our lives? Where in the world are we to find the good news in this gospel? How can we interpret this for us? The gospel of Mark, we know, is written to the Gentile world, to Greeks and the Romans. The author tells us of a Jesus who was a, a historic man of action, an exorcist, a healer, a miracle worker. It's a very human picture of the Christ, yet still filled with mystery and strangeness. And so in this gospel, on the surface, we see these two sides of Jesus. There's the tolerant side of Jesus, who tells his disciples that they should allow those who speak in his name, but are not part of the in-group, to perform exorcisms. But then, immediately, the author writes quite a list of awful acts, which when first encountered by us here in the 21st century, seem like barbaric responses to sin, unthinkable acts of contrition so that we might enter the kingdom of heaven. It feels incongruous, doesn't it? to speak of such tolerance on one hand 
that if a person or a group acts in accord with Jesus, they are welcome into him and into the body of Christ, and then turn to horrid acts of self-destruction and severe self-judgment. After all, who would really recommend self-mutilation, even if it were indeed simply to be considered as personal metaphor and symbolic rhetoric? Is this the godly reply to human error or all character flaws? But that's not the only interpretation we can make of this gospel. Mark is speaking to his disciples, disciples for whom he sometimes has very little regard. These are the guys who just a few verses before this in the gospel, we heard them arguing among each other who was the greatest. These are the guys that just heard Jesus tell them that he would be betrayed. And Mark does not mince words. He tells us and them that they just didn't get it. And if your eye causes you to stumble, tear it out. I believe Jesus is not telling the disciples how to make personal atonement for their sins. In fact, the body, a body, in Greco-Roman culture was often a communal metaphor. And Jesus was talking not about personal salvation, of damnation and hellfires, but more likely he was teaching them about removing the stumbling blocks to realizing his kingdom on earth. That is, he's calling for the commonwealth of God here and now. The disciples as a community and the growing Christian societies needed ways to survive after the crucifixion event. They needed to keep steady with the teachings of Jesus. The body is what will be the church, and the church fully realized is the world. There's a lesson here for us, isn't there? We look around and we see the world, and what do we find? Sometimes it feels like we are changing into something barely recognizable. Corporations have human rights, while human labor for less than a living wage. We have government that enriches the super wealthy, while world malnutrition has risen for the third year in a row. We witness high crimes and misdemeanors performed openly for all to see, while poor people are being over-policed and turned into criminals for using small amounts of illegal substances. The mighty seem to reign over a U.S. for-profit prison system that has seen a 500% increase over the last 40 years, and every single day, 15,000 children die of malnutrition and starvation. Democracies around the globe seem threatened by a growing and powerful trend towards flirtation with dictatorship and a ruthless, unbridled capitalism. I don't mean to speak of politics, but this does not seem like the kingdom of God to me. Politics aside, and even religion aside, Mark writes of Jesus and his metaphor of communal responsibility to righteousness and justice and fairness there are things, things, not people, that today we really need 
to have plucked out, drowned, and cut off. Jesus said, whoever is not against us is for us. And as such, we are empowered. We have the potent ways of Christianity to cast out what is bad. And Jesus, in effect, in this gospel, authorizes not only the disciples, the insiders, but also the strangers and the outsiders, anyone, you and I, to use his name as a powerful tool to cast out demons. We don't need an ordination or a license or a certificate to go about ridding the world of sin and injustice and inequality. We just need the way. In today's gospel, I think we have two teachings. The first is that we cannot be the body of Christ if we arbitrarily exclude individuals by their insider or outsider status, and therefore just discount the good that they might do in the world. William Thomas Manning was the 10th Bishop of New York, and his effigy lies not 50 paces from this pulpit. He was tireless in his efforts for construction of this building, the building we sit in right now. And William Hughes, Bishop Manning's close colleague and biographer, wrote of this place, an ordinary church stands naturally and necessarily for ministry to a particular group. No group of people has prior right to its ministration in this house. No group has prior rights to its seats. This is literally a house of prayer for all people, a gathering place for the whole community. We honor Bishop Manning by rejecting the growing culture of exclusivity and divisions in today's society. The second teaching, I think, is that we must take strong measure to stand as the body of Christ, together and steadfast, in taking the world to a place closer to the kingdom on earth. This means recognizing not only our own sin, but our communal sins, and taking responsibility and action. It means defeating evil not by exclusion and derision, but with acts of love and charity that bring others in. As James said in his letter, the one we heard at the beginning of this month, your anger does not produce God's righteousness. And he added, be doers of the word and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. Of course, we cannot do this perfectly, or rather speaking for myself, I cannot do this perfectly, but we are called to try. It may not be easy, especially in these days. Being Christian, we are not meant to merely cautiously avoid sin. So let's go out and leave this house of prayer for all people and do something to make this happen. We need to keep steady with the teachings of Jesus, just like his first disciples. And if we do that, it will truly be the good news from this gospel. Amen. Thanks for listening to Voices from the Cathedral. The Cathedral of St. John the Divine is the Cathedral of the Episcopal Diocese of New York. 
It is chartered as a house of prayer for all people and a unifying center of intellectual light and leadership. People from many faiths and communities gather here to worship together, provide meals for the hungry, educate our youth, and host concerts, exhibitions, performances, and civic gatherings. You can find us online at stjohndivine.org and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at NYC. That's S-T-J-O-H-N-N-Y-C. Check back soon for another episode.